Well, gentlemen, we're back at it, and uh, I'll tell you what, there is no greater joy, there's no greater joy than to have to see your children walking in the truth, and it's uh, my pleasure to introduce my youngest, and I'll tell you what, he's, he's preached some really great lessons of recent, and uh, he's done some good meditations, but one uh, Sunday morning, I told him, I really want you to to delve into this particular topic in regards to uh, a particular set of verses in Proverbs. Man, he did a great job. He had uh, his one of his supervisors come and listen to him, come to find out his supervisor had been a teacher before. Did you know that? Yeah, and uh, he goes, man, that was awesome. And I said, that was his first sermon. <laughs> and so uh, I'm really proud of Jake. And uh, I've asked him to speak about a great man of integrity from the Scripture it's a, it's a man that we can learn a lot from. And oftentimes we, we rush to the scriptures to get the right doctrinal stuff, but we miss the great, amazing illustrations of men of integrity, men of great faith. So I'm going to ask Jake to come up and deliver a message on uh, the man Barnabas, great man of integrity. So with that, I'm going to, if you don't mind, open you in a word of prayer. Is that okay? Our Holy Father in heaven, how thankful we are, Lord God, for the blessing of children. I'm really thankful for my son Jacob. I know he's spent quite a bit of time working on looking at and examining closely the many passages of Scripture about this amazing man named Barnabas. Pray, Father, we can learn much from his life example, his words, his actions, that we might follow in a similar pattern as we know that Barnabas used his giftedness to build the kingdom. So I pray, Father, we listen carefully and thoughtfully as Jacob would deliver the message tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to be focused mostly in Acts. We're going to be camping out mostly in Acts tonight. Um, but let's go ahead and start off in Luke, chapter 6 and verse 45. We're going to just kind of get a... Kind of a start, a heading, um, and kind of a verse that I feel like really portrays Barnabas really well. Luke 6. This is a pretty common verse. It says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Um, so dad, Bill actually did a really good job at kind of setting up for my lesson and talking about the deeds and, and the words, and we are to be the light of the world, right? Um, and being that man of integrity and being consistent and being competent at what we do, um, all those little things add up to to be something huge in the end. You know, they don't, people don't just see like one action that we do in a day and be like, that guy's a Christian. I want to be like him or I can trust that man, right? It's all the little things that add up. And I think Barnabas is one of those people. Um, let's go ahead and flip over to our first real look at, at Acts or at Barnabas in Acts, Acts chapter 4. I was thinking about, um, as I was reading all these different little um, snippets we see of Barnabas, we don't get like a full picture of um, 
Barnabas. We don't get a description of his personality. We don't get a description of his character. And it kind of made me think of all the all the different books I read. I read a lot of Louis Moore, so you get like westerns, and I read action thrillers, and I realized that all of these books, they don't have a description of the character at the beginning, and you get this mental picture of this man, this big, broad, you know, burly, really super fast gunfighter or whatever. You get these snippets of this person's personality throughout the book. And at the end of the book, you're like, wow, I really like that guy. He's like a really good guy. Good guy. Um, and so it's kind of the same with Barnabas. We don't get a, a full description of Barnabas. We're all in one chapter, all in one verse. We get chunks here and there. So my goal tonight is to be able to portray his personality, his different character qualities, and things about him, not just spiritually, but also somewhat physically, um, about who Barnabas really was. Because we hear a lot about him, um, and he's relatively well-known, um, but we really isn't a whole lot in the Bible about him. Um, so Acts 4, we're going to jump right in. Um, we're going to start in verse 32 and read a chunk here. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, uh, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him uh, was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to the sa- uh, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, uh, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translates um, son of encouragement, and who owned attractive land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um, so I would go back and read the context, but it is really quite lengthy. Um, so essentially, this is shortly after the day of Pentecost. This is relatively early in, in the, tr- the new church. Um, and pretty much everybody is still congregated in Jerusalem. No one, uh, everybody comes in, all the Jews come in for the day of Pentecost to celebrate and, and uh, you know, do their things in the temple. But no one has really gone home yet because everybody wants to be part of this new church. You know, they have hope. They have new life and everything. So everybody's still kind of around. And those who are from outer laying areas, I mean, they, they can't just go back to their jobs and come back. It's too far. So they're still in the area. And so the Christians that are living in Jerusalem are selling their proceeds or selling their property and, and giving the proceeds to these people. Um, and I think it's interesting that among all these different people that are doing it, it mentions several people. Um, it says... Uh, for all, for all who were owners of land and houses, would sell them and bring the proceeds um, to the apostles. So obviously they thought something special of Joseph, of Barnabas, when they mentioned him, because everybody was doing it. So obviously there was something special about him. Um, and it goes on to say that he was already known to be the son of encouragement. So we don't really get an idea of how long Barnabas was with the apostles. We can speculate that he'd been with apostles, but we don't really know. Um, so if he had been baptized on the, the day of Pentecost, he would have been relatively new Christian. He would have been starting from the ground up, right? Um, so that's a pretty short period of time to already get a nickname. 
um, when I was over in Crescent, um, each of the students, there were five students, and each student had a nickname based upon something they did, something like a mannerism. Um, and one of mine was, I was kind of the perfectionist of the group. I wanted to make sure everything was done neatly and everything was clean, and they called me Hollywood. Um, and so because of what I did every single day, is the reason why I got that nickname. Barnabas got his nickname because he was always encouraging people. He was always looking at everybody else's needs and making sure they got met. Um, and then also I want to point out in this passage, uh, he owned a tract of land. Um, it doesn't really say what the land was for. It may have been farming, but it was in Jerusalem. So obviously it was probably either a plot of land or it was a house. Um, whatever the case is, he had an extra one, so he sold it. So that kind of begs the question, how was he with his money? How was he financially? He was obviously pretty wise about the way he spent his money. He was able to afford an extra piece of land that he didn't need. Um, he may have been planning to build a house and instead decided to get rid of the dream house and invest in the kingdom of God. Um, so there, he's sensitive to other people's needs. He's a soft-hearted person. Um, he's generous. He's honest. Um, it goes on to talk about um, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira in the next chapter and how they were dishonest and and what they uh, sold and bringing the money. Um, so obviously, he was honest. He was known for being encouragement, and he was financially stable. He was wise with how he spent his money. Um. So, right off the bat, we get a pretty good chunk of he was a stable guy. The apostles trusted him and knew that he was, quote-unquote, the son of encouragement. They knew him. They trusted him. Um, so, that, kind of, that chunk speaks volumes, in my opinion. That's kind of the, the first good chunk we see. Um, let's flip, flip over to Acts chapter 9. Um, we're going to start in verse 19 and read a pretty good chunk of scripture here. <laughs> 19b, starting in verse 19b. Um, says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. I'm sorry, this is talking about Paul. We're talking about Paul right now. We're just kind of getting the, the context to what um, I'm talking about in regards to Barnabas. Um, now, for several days, he, Paul, was with his disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those who were hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not uh, he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Son of, um, this Jesus is Christ. Um, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. 
uh, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with disciples, but uh, they were all afraid of him, not believing him uh, that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he uh, how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he uh, I'm sorry that he had talked to him, uh, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Um, we're gonna keep reading. And he was he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Uh, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, uh, but they were attempting to put him to death. Uh, let's see. Let's just go and stop there. Um, so the context is, this is just several days after Paul's immersion. He's very new to Christianity. Um, and just a few days prior, he was on his way to Damascus to kill a bunch of Christians. Um, and so naturally, the disciples in, um, where is it, Jerusalem? I believe it's Jerusalem. Um, or Damascus, I'm sorry. The The Christians there are very leery of him. They're, they're quite scared. And Barnabas quite literally grabs him and drags him into the disciples. And is like, this man right here is a good man. So, obviously, he's very observant, and he's really paid attention to what Paul has said. And he's a really good judge of character, too, because he can obviously tell that Paul is the real deal. He's not faking it. He's not using a ploy to get the Christians to trust him. Um, so, Barnabas is really good at judging someone really quickly. This is only a very few short period of days that Barnabas may have had the opportunity to watch him firsthand and decide whether he likes Paul or not. Um, so he's a good judge of character. He's attentive. Um, and when he, he pulls Paul in among the disciples, he's well-spoken. He's able to convince the disciples that Paul is the real deal. So obviously he's able to articulate extremely well. And we'll see a lot more examples of... Um, how he's able to articulate. Um, and also, as kind of a side note, as I was reading this, I was kind of curious, like, he's relating all these events that happened to Paul. And my thought is, was he there? Did he hear the voice on the road to Damascus? Was he there when Paul was immersed? Just kind of a thought, I don't really know. It doesn't really say, but... Obviously, he heard it either firsthand or he was there. Um, he heard it from a, someone who was there or he was there himself. Um, and disciples trusted him. They, you know, they were able to to listen to him and, and wanted to know. Um, let's flip over to Acts 11. The next chunk of scripture. I'm kind of curious. Uh... Darren and Brian, how often in your jobs do you guys have to like make split-second decisions on someone reading their body language, reading their their actions, what they're doing? How often do you have to do that? All the time? So, but Barnabas had to do that. It wasn't obviously in a split second, and obviously his life wasn't dependent on it. But he had to do the kind of same kind of thing. He had to look at the actions. Did they line up with what he was saying? 
And obviously he didn't have a very good track record, so he had to kind of spitball a little bit. Axe 11. That was a little side note. Axe 11. Um, starting in verse 19. Um, we're just going to read all the way down to verse 30. It's a pretty good chunk of scripture. Um, so then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen um, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words uh, to no one except Jews alone. But there was some of these men, uh, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking uh, to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Uh, then when he had arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began encouraging them, uh, them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a considerable number, uh, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples uh, were first called Christians in Antioch. Um, yeah, let's keep reading. Um, now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, uh, stood up and began to indicate that the Spirit, by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Um, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution uh, for the relief of the brethren uh, living in Judea. Uh, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Okay, so the context... Um, hang on. I must have written something on. Anyway, um, so this is shortly after Stephen is stoned, and the Jews are ravaging the churches, um, and everybody kind of spreads out. They kind of start to kind of tentacle out to the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, and the church in Antioch starts up, and the Christians in Jerusalem are like, sweet, we have a foothold. So who do they pick? They pick Barnabas. Why? Because they know him. They trust him. They know he's going to teach the truth. They know he's articulate. Um, they know that he could, he speaks the truth. And they can trust him, right? Um, and so when Barnabas shows up, his first thing is, sweet, awesome. He starts encouraging them. He doesn't start preaching right away. He starts encouraging them. So... His first priority is to build what's already there, not to try and get more in. So he's not necessarily the preacher type. He's the, the um, what's the word? What's that? Yeah, and a coach. He's a coach. He's a, he's a coach. He's a mentor. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Um... I think it's really interesting that it mentions that he's a good man. That doesn't happen very often in the Bible. Jesus himself says that only God is good. 
Um, I don't think I wrote the scripture down. Yep, I looked. I went back and looked at the same word. I wish I'd written that scripture down. So, thank you, Luke 18. Um, so he's a good man, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And the only people that's ever really said that they're full of the Holy Spirit is Jesus, Stephen, and maybe a handful of others. I may have missed a few. Um, and, and the young men at the beginning of the church when they were picking the 12 or the picking the, the few that were going to kind of help the church along. So right there, there's a, only a few times that people have been called good and full of the Holy Spirit. So obviously, Barnabas is one of the top men. He's one of the leaders. He's not necessarily the first one to lead, but he definitely is one they respect. Um, and then I also want to point out in verse 25, something very interesting. They're already teaching considerable numbers, um, but he decides to go away to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why, is my question. So, my opinion is he understood that he wasn't built to be the preacher. He wasn't built to be the one-on-one Bible studying, making, you know, winning people making those Bible studies happen, he realized that it was Saul. That was Paul's job. He was going to be the most effective at it. So he takes time away from preaching the word. He goes over, gets Paul, and brings him back. So he's humble. He knows his place. He knows where he belongs. Um, and also, he's willing to give up that power, that those reins of authority. He's willing to give that to Paul. Um, he has that picture, that big picture of how are we going to get more people in, not just I want to keep the power to myself. Um, he very much has that big picture in mind. Um, and then down in verse 30, um, just kind of touch on it real quick. Um, another indication that he's really wise with money is... When they collect all the money to send off to Judea, who do they pick? Barnabas and Paul. The people that they can trust. Yeah, integrity. He was consistent. He was competent with money. And he was a man of integrity. It was a no-brainer. They already knew who they were going to pick. Um, our next sighting of Barnabas, if you will, is Acts 13. This is at the beginning of, this is actually starting before the beginning of the first missionary journey, um, is, this isn't really like a picture of Paul, or a picture of Barnabas, um, we don't get a whole lot of like character, um, it's kind of indirectly, um, talking about Barnabas here, um, so we're just gonna read chapter 13, 1 through 3, and then we're gonna jump down to verse 13 after that. Um, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, the prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, uh, who is called, also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Uh, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said, um, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Uh, then when had, they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So again, the Holy Spirit 
decides that Barnabas and Saul should be the ones. The Holy Spirit handpicks Barnabas to go with Saul. And then I also want to point out something kind of interesting here. Notice how in every single instance we've seen Barnabas, he's first. He's named first among all the people that are named. Here we have Barnabas and Simon and Lucius, and then Saul is the very last. And then down in verse 2, Barnabas and Saul. We're going to skip down to verse 13 of chapter 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them behind to return to Jerusalem. Notice, Barnabas wasn't mentioned there. He was just a companion. So somewhere in between here, the leadership, complete leadership of the missionary journey was handed over to Paul, and Barnabas was just a sidekick. He was behind the scenes making sure things happened. So again, he has that big picture. He knows that Paul is the one to be the face of the whole mission. And he knows that Paul is going to be more effective at preaching instead of him. So he's willing to give that over to Paul. Um, and then something to also mention, they picked up John at some point, um, and then he leaves. That's kind of come up again later on, but um, John Mark leaves at this point. Um, let's see. So something to mention is... And I really foobarred up my notes. I wrote the wrong notes, some of the wrong references. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see, Barnabas. Awesome. Um, let's flip over to verse uh, 42 of chapter 13. We get another snippet of Barnabas. And we're going to read 42 through 52. Um, as Paul and Barnabas, notice again, Barnabas is second, not first anymore. Um, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them uh, the next Sabbath. Uh, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, uh, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So again, Barnabas is second, and also he's teaching. He's focused on others. He's focused on building, not one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. Um, continuing in verse 44. Uh, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you... Uh, repudiate it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And, uh, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, um, and as many had been appointed to the eternal life believed. Um, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence, um, and the leading men of the city to instigate a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drive them out of their district. Uh, but they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit.
So, um, they're being persecuted by the people that they're trying to teach. And what is their reaction? Take off the dust. Keep moving. I don't know about you. My first reaction would be like, yeah, really? We're trying to help you. You know, I would get mad. I would want to get up in their face. I would want to get really angry and tell them off. Probably not my best character, but that's kind of, that would be my first instinct. I'm kind of ashamed to say. But their reaction is, okay, we'll move on. They're humble. They're cool under pressure. They're not going to get mad. They're not going to get angry. Um, and Barnabas isn't easily provoked. So he's calm, cool, and collected. Um, yeah, so let's go and flip over to Acts 14, the next chapter over. Um, we're going to start in verse 8 um, and read down to verse 15. Um, At Lystra, a man was sitting... Uh, who had no strength in his feet, lame from mother's womb, uh, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, um, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith, um, I'm sorry, and had seen that he had faith to, uh, to make him well, uh, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, uh, they raised their voice, saying in the Laotian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Um, the priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you, that you may turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Um, so, my first thought is, why did they call Barnabas Zeus? Zeus was the main god of all the gods in their culture, and Hermes was kind of like the spokesperson. He wasn't really a god, he was just like the, the voice as the big puppet is talking. Um... So obviously Barnabas had a kind of a presence about him that commanded respect. Um, my dad kind of speculated that maybe he was older than Paul. Maybe um, we know that he was obviously wise with his money, so maybe he was older. We don't really know. Um, we know that Paul, at the time of uh, Stephen stoning, was, wasn't really that long ago. He was still a young man. So Barnabas m may have very well been... Um, older than Paul. Um, so Barnabas was pretty humble. He stayed back, didn't really, you know, talk a whole lot, let Paul do it. Um, but the people still recognized him as authority. So we don't really know what he was, his job was there, but we know that he did have the respect of the people. Um, and then obviously they were humble about being gods. We kind of that's kind of a given. They were going to be humble about that and be like, uh, no, we're not gods. Um, so that kind of begs the question, you know, 
his personality had to have played a role in that. You know, he was obviously calm, cool, and collected, but he also had that this-is-how-it-is kind of attributes. Um, let's go ahead and flip over to Acts 15, starting in verse 1. Um, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, um, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then Paul and Barnabas um, had great uh, dissension and debate with them, and the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Um, therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing uh, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all their brethren. Uh, trying to decide if I want to keep reading. Uh, let's just go ahead and stop right there for a second. Um, so again, there is need for discussion. There is need for debate. Who do they pick? Barnabas and Saul and a few others. So obviously they trust him to report the truth. They trust him to articulate exactly what's going on. Um, and then also um, we see that the initial confrontation, they don't back down. So he has strong, extremely strong convictions about what he's teaching. Um, but it's kind of interesting that they don't just say, we're, we're teaching this, so that's where the buck stops. We're where the buck stops. They're willing to go back to Jerusalem and confer with the other disciples. So they're willing to be taught. They're not just, we're teaching it, and that's the end all be all. That's it. You know, so they're willing to be taught. Um, so that kind of, again, speaks volumes to who Barnabas was. Um, and then, unfortunately, the last little snippet we get of Barnabas is in the very end of chapter 15, um, starting in verse 36. Um, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Um, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Um, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they supported one another, uh, they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, um, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he traveled through Syria and Caesarea, um, strengthening the churches. Um, so again, John left them earlier, when the heat got real. John booked and was out and headed back home. It was too scary for him. But now Barnabas wants to take him along with him again. So, I wouldn't say he's, I mean, forgiving is kind of a, a strong word. Um, he's willing to give people a second chance. Even when their track record isn't exactly the best, he wants he wants them to go along. and wants to kind of learn the trade, kind of learn the, the ropes a little bit. Um, he's kind of a mentor figure again. He has that desire to bring along John Mark to kind of help him, you know, solidify his faith. Um, 
and he's you know willing to argue with Paul about it. So obviously he has a very strong conviction about being a mentor to John Mark. Um, he's willing to argue with one of his best friends, one of his dearest friends that he's been traveling with for a really long time. Um, and then they have an argument, and unfortunately that's the last we see of Barnabas. Um, that's not quite the end, though. Um, in my haste of trying to get this written, uh, I forget the exact reference, but we see later when Paul is on his, um, in one of his imprisonments, he asks to have John Mark come to him because I think in quotes it says, he will be of use to me or he will be useful to me. So obviously in between here and when Paul asks that, John Mark has grown up a lot. And how much you want to bet that Barnabas was the main instigator for that. He was the main mentor for that. Um, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. Second Timothy four, he said. Okay. Um, verse eleven. Um, only Luke is with me. Uh, pick up Mark and bring him to me, for he is useful to me for service. Um. Yeah, so obviously he's heard about Mark and his growth, and we don't really know if Barnabas ever met up with Paul again, but um, obviously Paul recognizes that there has been a lot of change, I won't touch that, a lot of change um, in Mark's demeanor, and it's because of Barnabas. Um, so my thought is, is, you know, we have all the teaching in the world in the Bible. But I think, like my dad said, I think a lot of times we miss the examples in the Bible. And we can learn a lot from Barnabas. He, again, is calm, cool, collected, but he holds authority. And over and over and over again, we see that the church has picked him for specific tasks for very specific reasons. And as my dad was talking about the different things we're being talking about um, throughout the week. Um, we see that he was consistent. He was a man of integrity. And he was competent at what he did. He taught. Many people were converted by him. So he was competent. And consistently, over and over and over again, we see his character shown. Um... So we can learn from example, but we can also apply who he was to our lives. And when my dad first started talking to me about kind of the lesson and his ideas about it, he looks at me and goes, you know, it's okay to see ourselves in the examples and in, in, you know, people we see in the Bible. It's, it's a good thing when we see ourselves. And so my question for you is, do you see yourself in Barnabas? Are you that man of integrity day in, day out? People pick you for specific reasons because they know you, they can trust you, because of your words and your deeds. Let's go ahead and pray. 
Lord God in heaven, we're thankful that um, we're able to get together and uh, meet up and um, talk about um, sometimes things that may hurt. I know I've um, seen some things in Barnabas that I'm kind of like, ooh, I need to work on that. Um, but we're thankful that we're able to learn and grow and do that alongside men that we respect, men that we love, and um, men that we know have our backs. And I pray that um, throughout this week that we would um, listen and that we would be um, extremely soft-hearted to what is being said and that we would uh, apply it to our lives and that um, going forth we would be um, we would strive to be um, consistent, um, competent men of integrity um, to those around us and that we would show um, the light and that we would um, grow the kingdom. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.